the Oasis. It's a place where the limits of reality are your own imagination. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do, but they stay because of all the things they can be. I'm here talking to all of you now because our future is being threatened. Go, go, go! I just came here to escape. But I found something much bigger than myself. I found my friends. What up, Z? I found love. And now, people have lost their lives. No, 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 no. This is war. We're in control of the future. Fine, welcome to the rebellion, Wade. Hello and welcome to the Vertical Viewing Podcast from Vancouver, British Columbia. This is episode number 165. Unsure. Unsure. Uh, and my name is Scott. My name is Rick Chung. Nice. Joining us today is the national film critic for City News and Breakfast Television Vancouver, Thor Diakow. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a long time coming. I'm excited. We've wanted you here for many months. <laughs> Me too. I'm just, I'm just excited to see Rick again. You guys are tight. Tight. Yeah, we've been going to screenings for years, I guess, now. Oh, yeah. Brothers from another mother. Or what is the line from Isle of Dogs? Is it like something from another litter? Or <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. What was that? I don't recall. Well, I'm the runt of the pack. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> On today's episode, we're actually going to be reviewing Isle of Dogs. From Wes Anderson. What, I don't care if you love dogs. Let's get to the movie. Yeah. Okay. It's and called you, this The guy Island needs, of Dogs. This guy needs to be convinced of its mastery, apparently, I'm told. Yeah. This is very interesting. Yeah, me, I know. Yeah. Okay, so where do we... Like, I was enthralled yeah, right yeah. from the get-go when those taiko drums started beating. The beginning of this movie is pretty great. <sighs> yeah, you got the, the Courtney B. Vance narration, the, the beautiful imagery that Wes Anderson conjures. He's, like, telling this story about an alternate... Japanese history that is then set in the future, and uh, the what's score. not to like, right? Yeah, so I put that to you. Well, we can find out. Okay, you can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, the podcast software of your choice. Our website's verticalviewing.com. Click on the donate button if you want to help us offset the cost of seeing movies, totally. putting on the show, sticking internet pie in your ear every week. Got to buy some KD. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's kid, what this the, whole podcast is powered by. Are the kids still eating KD? I don't know. Well, I don't think their parents are letting them. Are you letting the kids eat KD? Uh, sometimes, yeah. With with they probably love frozen, it, right? frozen peas in it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash vertical viewing to support the show as well. Email vertical viewing at gmail dot com on Twitter. We're at vertical viewing. All sorts of shit. Don't go to Instagram though. It's shadow banned. <laughs> which I don't know what that means, okay. but you can't see any of our posts. You can see them, just not in the hashtags. Well, what's the point, right? <laughs> Fuck it. Uh, Moving our, on. Our theme songs by the Anti Theory. Visit him on SoundCloud. Uh, we don't have much time, unfortunately, for other goodies, but uh, we we did watch Ready Player One. Yeah. Okay. Or you also love this? I loved it. I thought it was just nostalgia, adventure, enthralling action. 
it's a tough book to adapt, but someone like Spielberg, you give him the keys, and I thought it was a winner. I mean, yeah, it was a little hollow for me at times when you have to go back and forth between a digital realm, which was far more intriguing, and the real world. That real world stuff was raw off. Yeah. AF. I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, I wasn't... I love you. Let's I, meet now. I have a weird thing on my face. I think I'm ugly, but... We all happen to be near Columbus, Ohio in the future, which is like now a tech mecca for some reason. But that's all stuff from the book. I mean, he... he <laughs> yeah, I, and people said it was terrible in the book, too, yeah. right? <laughs> the one scene I didn't care for and, and scratched my head at, and I know you have to sort of check your head at the door and, uh, you know, the, it's it's a movie, so you can't pick apart every little bit, but there's a scene where there's a bunch of kids running down a street with their VR... Uh, goggles on. Yeah, isn't that like a part. huge health hazard? Well, it gets that's the thing in the book. You're you're mainly confined to your own space, right? So you're tethered to something. So that part to me, it felt like a, a an excuse to like get everyone pumped up in the real world about this big cause they were all fighting for. But these kids literally running through the street with their goggles on. I'm like, that's just that it looks absurd, up. right? Yeah, they're, they're cutting around it. I feel like they filmed that thinking this is going to look amazing. Exactly, and, and it does It didn't work, and they had to fit. cut it almost to nothing. Yeah, it's so, a throwaway scene. So I, I won't try. I'll try not to spoil the stuff, but like the consistency of like how things work it drove me crazy because people die and come back in the game like at at a whim. There's a thing with a password. Um, all this like random stuff. Like the, the Rick, Rick doesn't understand the rules of the Oasis. The supporting cast randomly is diverse, even though all the main characters are white as <laughs> white as crazy. And like it's just like it's just so weird. Um, like there's, there's no, never, there's so much exposition, but they never explain the mechanics of uh, the Oasis. And oh my God, uh, I love Mark Rylance, but he was so miscast. Like, you think? I don't know. I don't think Mark Rylance. He's he's a great actor, classically trained, experienced. He's never touched a video game in his life. He has this horrible wig, uh, and he's wearing his Space Invader shirt. He's like, I love video games and John Hughes movies. Mm, tab. <laughs> I loved it. I just thought his delivery was so oddball, and it fit the character. And I, Ben Mendelsohn, I just love in anything, no matter He's how amazing. small He's the role. But he went from I am a C, I'm a greedy CEO to I'm a murderer and terrorist so quickly. Well, it's Ben sure. Mendelsohn. So yeah. what else is going to happen? He's always on the edge of that, right? Also, the the security in this number two corporation in the world, where the the prison is just yeah. downstairs yeah. from the CEO's uh, office. People just writing passwords okay. on. You know, now we're just splitting hairs. Okay, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Rick, okay, Rick had some problems. Thor uh, loved it. You know what? I I will say, and not not to spoil too much, but I read the book, and I wish they had gone into more. And this is um, referenced at the beginning when there's a drone delivering a pizza. I wish they got into more with um, the the seclusion because the character of Wade in the book, he, it gets quite dark. He he ends up sequestering himself for weeks in this place and mm. gets really unhealthy and. Um, shaves his body hair and so I wish they kind of went further with that but I see where Spielberg was reining it in because he kind of wanted to keep it kind of a family movie but Ty Sheridan probably it's like I don't want to be covered in shit and shave my head like it didn't didn't really look that futuristic like those stacks those exist in other countries Um, well it wasn't that far into the future though was it it was what 30 25 years yeah okay yeah twenty forty five. They did you guys go to the six oh four stacks? No, I couldn't. I, I couldn't check that out. I honestly didn't know it existed until you sent me that thing. <laughs> so the, yeah, the, was this only in Vancouver? Did they do? It was like a cross country thing. So they, they did, did for the Warner, si- yeah. like a bunch of cities. Mm-hmm. But okay. it was like raining the day the the main day it was here right on the Saturday. So it, it, it was a large scale uh, towering shipping container structure that you could go in and play video games i guess yeah it looked pretty cool okay yeah apparently the, the lineup was crazy though <laughs> in front of the art gallery we we're gonna do a full review of ready player one i think next week 
It's, it's getting busy. Lots so, of movies coming out soon. Stay tuned for that. Yeah. A Quiet Place. Really looking forward mm. to that. Or uh, Blank Blockers. Rooster Blockers, <laughs> I believe. Crotch Blockers. <laughs> just mess it up for them. Just, just yeah. misinterpret their dumb title. Uh, the screenings are the same night, unfortunately, so they're cho- making us choose, which I always... Yeah, they're hate. both getting good reviews. Yeah. There's a ton of goodies. Um, I'm pretty stoked about A Quiet Place. Well, I, I feel like there's an angle there with... It's John Krasinski, his, I think, third feature direct directing. And I've um, seen his two previous movies, yeah. and they are terrible. So really? I'm really curious about this, because this sound movie is getting incredible reviews. And he wrote it, and he's in it with his real-life wife. Yeah, and there's, like... The whole concept is that it's a horror movie that's with no dialogue, because that's yeah, there's the some premise. there's some beings following them. And I'm a them. sucker for a creature feature. Yeah, that's, that's, like a, that's a great A premise for a horror movie. But it's PG-13, yeah. which has you what? worried. Yeah, it's is PG-13. It? Oh, does that shit. does that mean that I was asking you this earlier? It, did, would would a movie ever get an R rating? Do you think if it's just based on terror alone? Like if a movie's not violent, it's just scary. No. Would, could that ever get no, an R rating? I don't think so. so. There, are, like the the MPAA is like a gong show. There are movies that just get R ratings because they feel adult, like Lady Bird or Phantom Thread. Even though there's like really nothing explicit. Well, no, movies. I think the Lady Bird though is mainly because there's a shot of uh, she's reading the the Playgirl, and there's a there's some dong in there. And that right there is a strike. Like, oh, damn. you actually see it? Yeah, you see penis when she's Thor, outside the convenience Thor, store. Thor saw well, it I mean, right you, away. You, you, oh yeah, you, you saw uh, well, what's the face topless too. in Titanic. There's there's, there's a bunch of f bombs yeah, in well, Lady Bird for sure. Rated PG thirteen. Yeah, it may have they may have clamped down over the years too. But also like it was studios. beautiful. It was it was uh, draw me like one of your French girls, Rick. Yeah, I don't think you would get an R rating. You would definitely have like a rating that would reflect psychological terror, and you actually see that sometimes written into the description. But I don't think to but get an R, you'd have to have. There's, uh, I, it just suggests to me that all the terror and scares are more suggested than like literally uh, visualized. Hmm. That's cool. I'm on board for that. I mean, look at Dunkirk. It was so effective. One of the best, I think, war movies in recent memory. But it was, I, it was PG. It was rated PG. PG yeah, yeah. Right? And you could argue, like, yeah, things like The Dark Knight and other movies like that. The, they should have been R anyway. The pencil scene in The Dark Knight should have gotten you an R rating, but well, they yeah. they cut it so close to the bone that if they managed to get that if PG thirteen. If it's bloodless, like they mm. give a lot of credence. Also, like uh, if you watch that documentary, this movie's not yet rated. Like studios. Yeah, I mean, good. NBA is actually run by like studios essentially so yeah they get a lot of leeway when it comes to those things mm. so yeah it sounds like there's some mechanical dogs out in trash island that are coming for us yeah. so nice segue we should probably get into this It may snow tonight. Really? Thank you very much. Wow. To whom it may concern. She sees the future. Ah, no. She understands TV. (coughs) You seek a dog named Spots. Dog Zero. Dog Zero.
So that was a clip from Isle of Dogs. In the future, an outbreak of canine flu leads the mayor of a Japanese city to banish all dogs to an island that's a garbage dump. All right. It's called Trash Island. Mm -hmm. Trash Island. Isle of Dogs is written and directed by Wes Anderson, and it stars Brian Cranston, Koyu Rankin, Edward Norton, Lee F. Schreiber, Greta Gerwig, Bill Murray, Bob Balaban, Jeff Goldblum, Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> Tilda Swinton, Francis McDormand, Courtney B. Vance, F. Murray. I, I could go on forever. I, I think here. we're good. <laughs> yeah. Well, so many white people. So many white people. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, do we start there? Do we start uh, with the cultural No, let's, let's talk no, about the movie let's first. Let's talk about the quality. Yeah. Thor, what did you think of Isle of Dogs? I loved it. I, I gave it a five out of five. I thought it was That's the high praise. strongest film I've seen so far this year. It's a lot of hammers. Yeah, and you come from, uh, when you have a resume like Wes Anderson, obviously the bar is very high. And did I was, you like it better than Fantastic Mr. Fox? I think I did, yeah. <laughs> I have a bit of an affinity for Japanese culture and... Futurist, as a white guy if you will well i mean yeah I, I i kind of not that i fetishize it but i just i love the people and their culture it's so unique so for him for wes anderson to tackle uh japanese culture and do it in the form of stop motion animation which i've always loved as well i go back to like ray harryhausen and, and yeah. the old you know seventh voyage of sinbad and those movies so i appreciate the craftsmanship of that style I was hooked from the get-go i just thought it like it was subtly funny uh, i was also very uh, poignant and uh, it was so meticulously detailed. It's it's so beautiful. There were just things that were coming at you, and not not in like a rapid fire. Like we talked Ready Player One. There's a lot happening in that movie where it's almost too much, and you have to go back and rewatch it. But I just feel like there was so much to lovingly embrace in every frame of of Isle of Dogs, and I it was just so nicely paced. Like I did read something that it was putting people to sleep, like because of the pacing of the movie. I think it is too long for the subject matter that we're working with at least but i thought it really moved like i was very what the fuck yeah now, i've only seen it one time but i try to think when i'm seeing these movies you know am i gonna feel i i picture myself watching it at home on blu-ray for example will it have the same impact and i still stand by what i thought about it i mean i really want to see it immediately for a movie that i didn't enjoy i want to see it right now on home, yeah, on Blu-ray. Yeah. In- so it's funny you guys mentioned this because I explicitly saw this movie again for this purpose. Uh, I actually saw the movie with Thor early, and I saw it again with Scott mm-hmm. a week later. And I was probably maybe not as high, but I was super high on the movie the first time I saw it. It's so dazzling; it really moves. I really liked all the interesting things uh, when it, when it was first announced uh, that Wes Anderson would do, be doing a movie about sort of future Japan and dogs. A lot of people were like, mm, I don't know about this, especially something after something like Darjeeling Limited, which is like so problematic. It's ridiculous, right? Characters that get used are usually people of color, like they're either Asian or of uh, you know East, East Indian descent. Yeah, white enlightenment is yeah more he important vessel. Yeah, and the first time I saw this, I was pretty uh, sort of I was pretty happy with what he did. There's definitely a lot of cultural appropriation. He get up to me. I thought he got around it. You being in the future. The fact that uh, everything is so st- heightened and stylized in his fashion, uh, and like the whole I- the idea that all the dogs speak American English and all the um, Japanese characters speak Japanese, and they may or may not be uh, translated. I thought it was pretty interesting. I know a lot of writers have complained. Yeah, and 
doesn't that call attention to yeah the, the, itself? It, it's, it's they the call it a bit about otherness and the fact that uh, as a as a you know as an English speaker, you might feel that they might make Japanese culture or Asian culture more foreign to you. For me, I didn't get that. Also, because as someone who's regularly in different cultures, especially Asian cultures, I feel a lot of like the way a lot, right? People I'm related to, people I'm friends with, speak languages that I don't speak, and I speak languages they don't speak sometimes, right? And then your dog translates it for you. That's right. No, Francis McDormand, Francis McDormand walks around me translating it for but me. But that's the thing. is like I, I feel like the dogs, because they're dogs, they had the they, they almost had like a, not a free pass, but... There was it was almost like a gimmick where they were going to have this um, this heightened way of talking where you had the regulars like the Bill Murray, the Balaban, the Jeff Goldblum, Edward Norton. Like it's it's his roster of people he's used before. Right. Plus a few who are mostly white guys. Right. Sure. That's another problem in itself. Um, So I think it is a problem. I think it's less so. And uh, after watching it again and reading all these great articles about it from Asian, really some really great Amer- Asian American a- mm-hmm. uh, writers like um, Angie Han from Mashable and Inu Kang and Justin Chang in the LA Times. Yeah, yeah. Emily Yoshida. Yeah, Emily Yoshida. Uh, some really great stuff. And a lot of them, like, a lot of them didn't out and out uh, criticize it. They said all these things they love, but also the nature of how that can be problematic, especially if you're Asian. And so watching it a second time, it diminished a little for me. I still really enjoyed it a lot, but there are problems. Uh, there are interesting parallels. I remember the first time I was just so shocked by how political the movie was. Like, mm-hmm. there's so much like I feel like anti-Trump stuff and things about authoritarian rule and fake news and all that stuff. Um, to me, the greatness of this movie is that it sort of sparks these conversations and exp- exploration. Um, I would hope people don't come away thinking. The, the wrong ideas about Japanese culture because they do explore a lot of stereotypical things like haikus and sushi and wasabi and like sumo culture and all that stuff. And it's like that is like the very surface level of Japanese um, culture. Uh, I took a bunch of Japanese pl- politics and anthropology courses in university, and a lot of that stuff has so many layers. And you know, if you get read more about Japanese culture, th- those things really don't come into place. That's more of a Western idealization. But that's it, right? Going back, to, like we're even going for deep as the obsession with Japan with like the nuclear age on Yeah, there's a lot stuff. of stuff about that. Or internment camps. Yeah. Camps because the, the dogs that, are around. Yeah. Trash Island is an internment camp and all the explosions are like these mushroom clouds things. Yeah. Like, I didn't see that as much. I mean, I feel like you have to be careful with some of these movies and movie going in general these days. The lens we look at them through, like I just feel like it, it, we can get overly sensitive about but the But it's called like, Megasaki, right? Yeah. And the kid's name is Atari and there was a lot of controversy That was that. weird. Because like Atari is like an American name, right? It's like it's made up. That's yeah, Japanese. Yeah, I, I understand. That's not a Japanese name. No, it's nothing. It's like Hagen Dazs. There's nothing. But I feel like Wes Anderson, like he he's not like a. I, I don't feel like there's this ulterior motive or there's this like cynical. Like he's just he he. I think a lot of the stuff is like uh, tributes to uh, Ozu or Kurosawa yeah. or Miyazaki, and I think it's one of those things. Like if if you're in. If you're already, if you're a person who hates Wes Anderson movies, you're probably gonna hate this even more. And you're a person who's sort of like more on the train, you'll probably go go with it. Uh, I think that he has enough juice that you know, I don't know, like eight films in, he he can make this movie, uh, and it have be a little play a little better than if he had done this right off the bat. Sure, yeah, no, he's definitely got the uh, the films and the legacy already uh, behind him to be able to 
pull it off. And it feels like he's less making a comment on Japanese culture and more on Japanese cinema yeah, in some ways, right? And also, if you keep in mind his other, like, uh, you know, white, like, American movies that uh, also remix and make a random culture of things, he does it. Now, he doesn't just, just do it with Japanese culture, right? You know, things like uh, even Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums. Like, those are weird movies that don't exist in any... Like, he takes little things that, like, when does this take... Like, the Royal yeah. Tenenbaums take place in present day, but that movie really doesn't, right? No, no. There's well, nothing, it's hard to and this see really real world in it. isn't the future, necessarily. They're still using little label maker stuff and yeah. old uh, Commodore 64 monitors, which I love how all of the on-screen security cameras are all, like, cell animation. Yeah, that's really right. interesting. And there's, like, yeah. paints. I, th- I almost wanted to yeah. go into uh, a fully hand-drawn animated film from Wes Anderson whenever I was watching those. You sure, know? but I mean, those little things you described, that was those were just elements that, to me, added to this whole beautiful, rich tapestry that the movie brought. And I, I just, I didn't look at it. And this is me, a privileged white guy, watching a Wes Anderson movie. So I, I you know, I'm just going, I'm just explaining You're, you're it. like patient zero for this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just explaining it from my perspective of the movies I've seen in my life and, and what I think about Wes Anderson. But I thought it was a loving tribute and, and a love letter to Japanese cinema art and culture and yeah you mentioned the sumo wrestling but the sushi thing was brilliant just how it was and the parallel between that and there's like a surgery scene later the precision i think it was more about it's a violent movie isn't it (laughs) yeah like like i said i think like knowing like this is his thing that it's not specific to japanese culture he it's you get more leeway but the fact that he does use things that oh if, if, if i told you to like hey name some random japanese things off the top of your head, you would say these stereotypical things, right? <laughs> that's the thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of the problems. Yeah. I, I think that people are reading into it too much. But it is, I think Wes Anderson ha- doesn't have nefarious purposes no. here, obviously, right? He he sees the Japanese culture as a window dressing or, or a, a, almost like a design scheme for his dollhouse that every movie he makes is, yeah. is a dollhouse. But and he's like, well, what, what, what color scheme or what motif are we going with on this one? There is no direct reason. There's no reason this needs to take place in Japan. It's, it's not hilarious. Anchor, it's, yeah, it's not anchored in any real Japanese, uh, touchstones or any cultural, you know, like it doesn't like, un- unless it had something to do with Japan, as its source material, it, it doesn't. You could put this anywhere and it have the same, the same impact, except for these things we're talking about, like internment camps or atomic bombs, fallout, or yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, it is. It does help that the the, the last movie he made was the Grand ba- Budapest Hotel, which does the same thing for like World War Two and like Nazis, yeah, and stuff like that, right? Without naming that, that one does it in a much more direct way with big banners and like they're really going for it. There's there's no oppressive government here other than just this one city, right? It's not it's not all of Japan, is it? It's just the mayor. It's not the it's not like it's the president of Japan or prime minister. Yeah, that's true. It, yeah, it's it's mainly Megasaki and the uh, the surrounding area there, the environs, if you will, that area. But to me, it's also like it's a possible future. You know, it's just an interpretation, much like Wes Anderson's movies, like of a, of a kind of heightened, somewhat fantastical world. You know, but does the language choice which draws attention to this whole cultural appropriation discussion but the way that it has these translators going and stuff does that work for you guys because for me i i felt like we weren't really hearing about we weren't really getting the direct story from our protagonist which apparently is atari 
Kobayashi. We're getting an interpretation of everything he says through a fucking dog. So really, like, we don't... Oh, shit. We don't ever really know what is actually coming out of his brain. It's more just what the dog is interpreting. So really, do we ever really know what any of the Japanese characters are ever thinking? Which sort of adds to this distance that we are getting to the Japanese characters, which feels intentional. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, Emily Oshida. She wrote a really great article in Vulture about... Uh, she, she tried to interview as many Japanese speakers as possible to, see the, to get their uh, sort of story on the film. And apparently the dialogue is very like plain, a little bit stilted, kind of like Wes Anderson movies, but it's, always, it's also kind of not really totally relevant to the, the plot. And it's really an interesting article. Um, I just feel like if, if we... Like, if the character's speaking Japanese, then we don't really care what they're actually saying, right? Close enough is good enough. I, I did, because I thought it was a creative way to show the different uh, the cultures and the language, not clashing, but how they work together. Like, Francis McDormand was the translator, and like, say what you will, I know you have like a, a white lady playing essentially yeah. a Japanese translator, but then there were things like where the subtitles would come up, or sometimes you just had to infer what they were saying based on their reaction or, or the, the tone of the voice, even though you didn't understand what they were saying. I just thought it kind of added to the overall aesthetic of the movie. Yeah, I was I was totally cool with that because I think like in a lot of movies, how you know, just like we talk about Ready Player One, there's always a lot. You can't get everything from a movie all the time as you're watching it, right? And I think, especially in the Western world, we have this impression that we need to understand everything characters are saying 100 at the same time. And if you, even if you watch movies with subtitles, if you're not a native speaker, you're you're just probably losing a lot of stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. so much of language is uh, nonverbal, and I think it just it's more onus on you to work harder or to engulf yourself more into the movie. And I think we sometimes play too much uh, onus on understanding everything. Like, there's lots of movies where I have no idea what the characters are doing or saying, even though they're speaking English 100% sure. of the time, right? Sure. Yeah, and I just thought that he it was an interesting way to convey the story. So it wasn't always so like expository and serving you up, like you say, every bit of dialogue. So it kind of made you as an audience or a viewer work a little more while you're watching it. So I felt like there was a there was a participation needed. It wasn't a passive viewing experience, you know, where it's just like, here's the movie, here's yeah, the dialogue. And you're bridging gaps, you're yeah, cooperating like was, with different cultures. I was and- marveling at the creative creative ingenuity at times with how they did those things, you know? Uh, for the language thing, I want to bring up two very different movies. I in, in Glorious Bastards, I love that use of language because even though Amazing. there are subtitles, yeah. the reason why they speak certain languages in that movie has such a precise reasoning, right? You think, like, oh, they're just using it as an excuse so now that we can understand speak English. Well, there's like espionage reasons and yeah. things like that. Yeah. And so, like, I love how thoughtful that is, right? And then in a recent movie like Red Sparrow, how, wow, <laughs> they're speaking... Everyone is speaking English in Russia and Budapest, even though these settings, you're in, like, the Kremlin and it makes... It makes no sense. You have a British accent and you say your W's with V's a couple of times you have, and you're you, good you enough. You have an American actress doing her best Russian accent speaking English. You have like Jeremy Irons not even trying. You have an Australian... <laughs> you're, da- you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, You're right? having an Australian with an American accent in Russia and Budapest. <laughs> Uh, the the forms are in the different language, but they're speaking English. So Wes Anderson said, "Fuck all this." I, I didn't really care about that stuff, to be honest. I kind of dug Red Sparrow, but that's for another day. I kind of liked it too. I don't no, know. I, I think to me, you whatever you do, even if you just like, I'm just gonna make it easier for the audience. You have to have an artfulness to it, right? Yeah. And I like maybe people a lot of people don't agree with uh, Anderson's choice, but I think he thought about it, right? And there's a reason why it's presented the way it is. And I don't think like a movie like Red Sparrow. I don't think they thought about it enough. 
yeah I, yeah sure but i mean it wasn't that kind of movie to me it was just more of like a of a hollywood spy thriller uh adapted from a popular book uh that to me ticked a lot of boxes but i mean that's you know again we're talking i actually about li- i actually like that movie but that, <laughs> I, yeah i think I there's a, a lot huge, to like right? i had a, i had a lot of problems with that language thing yeah oh sure sure but yeah i think like i said you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't like Wes Anderson tried something different here and he's still getting criticized for it in some ways. And he tried to do it almost in sort of the cleanest way he could just have everyone speak. There's even a title card, which again, draws more attention to what he's doing. This all seemed maybe like it might've been avoidable if he said it somewhere else. I mean, but but that, that opening title card that says note to viewer, all characters speak in their native language. And the dogs are translated into English. And the dogs, which is just a weird thing but to that, say, but it, 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 it does help to explain what's going on. Yeah, because the dogs aren't people, so they're almost like this different race. So, yeah, I mean, they do all sound like, you know, really good actors and white guys, but it, it set them apart from the humans. I I also think, like, with an animation, you just can get away with a lot more. Things, yeah. Right? Look at Kubo and the Two Strings, which I love, and I think is a, an astounding picture. But Are you, you telling me Matthew-, Matthew McConaughey and Charlize Theron aren't uh, Jap- I don't know, Japanese? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was totally criticized for that, right? You got the, the the British kid from Game of Thrones voicing Kubo, right? But uh, again, I overlooked that stuff, and here again, white guy talking about this, but um, you know, like Coco, like that's a lot of Americans, and I know they had a lot of uh, uh, Mexican Americans and Hispanic uh, people making that movie. They clearly did the work, um, and but at the same time, I think like if this movie had been live action, if Coco had been live action. It's just harder to forgive these things, right? Um, yeah, it's part of expanding diversity, and, and it, you're going to be stepping I, on some toes every now and then with well, how these are yeah, interpreted. There's a solid roster of Asian actors in Isle of Dogs, and it was also co-written by Kunichi Nomura. Yeah, yeah, he wrote, uh, they wrote the story with like, Jason Swartz. Yeah, which yeah, is sure, Roman yeah. Coppola. Yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to say, hey, look, they got a Japanese guy that co-wrote it, but you know, I, I feel it, like there no, was No, it certainly helps, yeah. And again, though, like like listening to Edward Norton and Brian Cranston and Goldblum and Balaban, who are barely in it though, but which it was sucks. so good though their dialogue <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and their little banter. The, they're so the great. face of delight in Thor is just hilarious right now. I don't know. I just I, I love love that stuff. I loved uh, Bill Murray's character, that baseball dog. Yeah, there's something about him that and I Goldblum just was always him. gossiping. He's like, oh, you know the thing about that guy. Oh, Although, here's what I heard. Although it's kind of hilarious that Scarlett Johansson keeps being in these movies, but like kind of about Japan, but kind of not. Like lost oh, in yeah. translation and Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so the thing, the things I liked about the movie though are mainly the dogs, um, the central storyline with Chief and Spots, mm-hmm. right? So the, the plot being here that Spots, Atari's dog, is sent to the island. He's patient zero. Thor is Leah Schreiber. Yeah. <laughs> But in the real patient zero, dog zero, yeah, dog zero. Yeah. Uh, w- there's a, there's a nice little case of mistaken identity, which I think is well, spoilers. I mean, it's okay. It's early on. I think yeah. it's the first it's ten minutes. Early, yeah. yeah. Um, and you kind of know exactly where it's going. And I think that scene's handled brilliantly because it's I do like too. you're thinking, oh no, and then oh, yeah, it's very Wes Anderson. Without giving too much away. And uh, the 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 central plot line, I think, between Chief and Spots, I think, is the the. What, it's, it's a pretty touching boy in his movie. I think it's, yeah. it's one of Wes Anderson's best character arcs, especially for Brian Cranston's character, Chief. That That is genuinely incredible and, for me, redeems the whole movie. And the reason why I'm not going to write it off, and I'm probably going to end up giving it a decent score here, despite my disappointment. But, the, yeah, the, from beginning to end, how his character literally washes himself of all of his sort of previous 
uh, faults and things Which like that. Which was criticized for a character being literally whitewashed. I know, I know. It's fucked up, right? I've, I've read that too. Um, but yeah, but, but to sort of like, I mean, mesh I, with... White dogs are just as superior to black dogs. <laughs> that's, just, that's just science. I don't oh, know man. Oh, man. The implications are brutal. But yeah, I, I love that whole arc. Uh, I'm not sure what Atari... Like that bolt in his head... I think that was from the plane crash. But is that does that have any narrative purpose? Does it affect Atari in any way? Or? I don't know. I mean, it's a great visual joke. It's a, it's so Wes Anderson. Yeah, I think that's what it was. It was like, oh, he didn't just walk away from his plane crash thing. He right? gets yeah. It, it, it's part part of the resolution. But I thought that having Atari as your protagonist, apparently, which I guess is really not He's the not. case. The the film shouldn't have sort of given you that red herring. I think. Without being too spoilery, I don't. I don't think we should have sort of came in with Atari being our alleged protagonist and then doing a a dodge over to Chief, who we really are following. I don't. Th- that that narrative is so strong that I think Wes Anderson should have just like said it right front and center. Isle of Dogs should have been about Chief. He's the. It's a his story. Um, it's but, it's but, not the story of a boy it, losing his dog and getting getting his dog back, quote unquote. I still feel like it is a big story about Chief because there's like a redemption there with him. With yeah, I think character. He, he's the main character, Chief Brian. Cranston. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I, I, why didn't Wes Anderson just thrust that entire make him the guy, the boy's dog? That entire narrative is, is is what we're following, as opposed to sort of all of this other complications. Because for me, the the film was messy and kind of all over the place, plot wise. <sighs> well, I mean, not to reveal the plot, but I think that's. That's how the, the that's how you get so many characters. I mean, we can get into spoilers. I think we probably should. So, if you went into spoilers, like that's how it's revealed that all the characters are somehow related. Like how they can get on this rescue mission, but it's not really a rescue mission because he didn't need, doesn't need rescuing. All this stuff, right? It's well, like a Trojan horse story, right? Yeah, kind of. the, the, the angry dog chief who we've been following is actually Spot's brother, and he's your new dog, Atari, because... And he's going to become... He's going to take Spot's place. Yeah, that that whole arc and from where Brian Cranston starts and ends, it's amazing and among the best things Wes Anderson's ever mm-hmm. written, I think. And I think it deserves a little more focus than it, the movie gives it, which is a lot towards the end. But I feel like it's so muddled with all of these other complications. I don't know if you needed to have all this political stuff to make such a simple point about a, a dog going from a stray to someone who loves humans i, I mean i just I, don't know if there would have been enough there for a for a feature film i mean i think uh, wes anderson makes these fairly simple straightforward stories but they're told so complicated in such complicated sure, right sure that's my, like his thing my bigger issue is the greta gerwig character that and she's oh, criticized yeah. as the white savior right there's i just found the character kind of annoying um I, she was I, definitely a weak spot for me i love greta gerwig but it's like they have to bend over backwards to make her character white right yeah i was disappointed in in the because the they're like whoa all, all the japanese characters are going to speak japanese that's a thing and, but then randomly this white person is like one of the, the exchange leads. student yeah and speaks english and like is the yeah the savior character that was really like and I she's can, shouting, and it just kind of was off-putting. Does, so, the, does she have anything to do with the final resolution? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, she's I, the I one mean, that galvanizes them to stand up but, for this whole but thing. But that should, and she that delivers the Japanese, cure. That should have been a Japanese character, right? I don't know if you needed... Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, meet yeah. you there, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, 
when I say that, oh, he gets away with it mostly, da, 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 that I feel like that one factor That's almost glaring. invalidates all the stuff he tried to do, right? But then there's other times where, like, there's a scene where Brian Cranston's dog meets uh, Scarlett Johansson's dog. And they're they're up. They're, a lot of that stuff is super weird. But they're talking, and it was like I was more enthralled by that than like the average conversation between two actual actors and humans in, in any other movie. Like it was the the cadence and the the uh, the, the timing of their their conversation and, and the quality of the the vocal like tracks they had laid down. This is one of Brian and Cranston's. The way he stages the shots. I was yeah. Like, no, I, I, I honestly think this is one of Cranston's best performances he's ever done. Yeah, and he's voicing a dog. Yeah. And Scarlett Johansson, I think all of us are kind of in love with Scarlett Johansson's voice oh, from her. From her, like yeah. it, it does something to our ears. Yeah. I, I really yeah. think so. So when you hear her talking, there's some silkiness that just puts you sure. into a, a trance. But, but it first, was the way he he created the dialogue and 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 conveyed these dogs interacting. It felt so human to me, you know. And I thought that was brilliant. The, the voice cast, casting all around was superb. The first time I saw it, it drove me crazy because it was like. I know who like Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. I was like, I know who this is, but why can't? Yeah, because you fell in love with. Yeah, because also she's such a good voice actress. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. that's like, what does this. She I can think. like kind of husky. Yeah, like she can like sort of like use her voice vocal cadence to just like modulize her performance, and it's so underrated. It's almost like she's whispering. To is you, there like... is there any reason why all of the main dog cast are are male? Like I don't think we needed them to be. It does. It, we could have had a few more yeah, female. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, yeah you know, totally. Even yeah. from Wes Anderson's typical repertoire of white could use, a- white actors, could use Marissa Tomei in there or Saoirse Ronan. Or, or he could, have, yeah, Saoirse Ronan. She could have had uh, his basically his his mom, uh, Angelica Houston. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he had Francis McDormand. I would say, like, not yeah. a dog though. A lot of his movies, there are like an ensemble of men and like female supporting actors. Yeah, so I feel like no, it's I like a trend in his don't movies. Don't know if he has any film with a female protagonist, no. if I can recall. Huh. But um, but yeah, Isle of Dogs is an achievement. I need to see it again. Clearly, because I feel like there's a lot I I didn't pick up on. I don't understand the tooth bombs. They're really weird. What's not, what's to understand? It's just weird and okay, dumb. Okay, so that that was um stupid. W- would one replace one after? I, it I don't. Know. You only have like said, seventeen or something. He right? said like if I do this thirty-seven Is more times, using, then I can't chew. He's using all the teeth in his mouth. Yeah, so he has to gauge them so that he can what? still okay. chew. So but it stupid. didn't look like when he was shooting them, he was diminishing teeth in his mouth. Because so, he only did it like yeah. Oh no, well, he did it a bunch of times. Yeah, at, at the one end time. there, he kind of did it a lot. So stupid. It was a little weird. Yeah, but, yeah okay, fair enough. But again, I feel like this is awesome. We're talking about the characters and the plot, but you got to remember the craft, the technicality of this movie. Like it took, oh, I talked to Koyu Rankin the other day and he says they, sh- he laid down his vocals two and a half years ago. Like, oh wow, the thing that the, what they do yeah. with the, with the stop motion animation, like that needs to be acknowledged and addressed. Big just time. The every they made it like that. You every know? tiny movement is one frame. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. Film, well, right? and, and to, to nail, Wes Anderson has that distinct style and that distinct pacing and that distinct rhythm. His to be shots able to convey that in anime, like I don't know how he incredible. knows to be okay. So the shot has to linger, and then once it gets a little bit, like then like a little rag will float through. Oh, then the wow. one character will turn to the side, and like, it's all in camera. Yeah, and, and to know your style so well to was, be able to nail it in in that complete other medium is incredible. Yeah. He has such control over his. Vision, right? And the crew that he used, and the, the technical behind the scenes, like yeah, and and the fantastic Mr. Fox was a lot of just plain sets, rounded mounds of grass with a tree on it, and 
sort of old Looney Tunes kind of looking stuff. And he, the sets in this look like they cost several million dollars to build in some cases, probably. They, they look massive. Yeah. Well, they're not very tall. Well, there are what look to be <laughs> big, huge wide shots that I don't know how he... Like, they look like giant yeah. 30-foot sets, you know what I mean, that he's zooming in and out on. I think stop-motion animation is probably the perig vessel for Wes Anderson, like, his style, because mm-hmm. um, his movies are so symmetrical, so precise, so perfect, right? And you can only get that so much uh, with, like, real, like filming in real life, right? But, like, especially stop-motion, you literally have the time to yeah. make everything... It's incredible. Anything that's not in its place, you can just take out. Mm-hmm. It's that perfect blend of both realms, you know, the animation yeah. and the live action. And like you, like unlike uh, you know th- uh, CGI or even like uh, traditional animation, um, you can do things like set decoration and costuming. Put corduroy on everything because yeah, his yeah. name's Wes Anderson, and it has to be corduroy everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie was great, but I I don't know what it has to do with my expectations being. At ridiculous levels, because the Grand Budapest Hotel might be one of my favorite movies, period, mm-hmm. ever. And where can you go from there? I don't know. I, I mean, I would say this is like the Grand Budapest Hotel of his of anima- his animated anime, films. Yeah. yeah, he's only I'd done agree. two. It's hard because you're comparing it to Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was brilliant at the time, but but it it's almost seems quaint now. But I feel like it it earns its emotional beats in such a stronger way i isle of dogs i was just getting tired of how many times a character would stare into the camera and then just well up with tears and then i'm supposed to automatically feel emotional just because it's cute and it's heartfelt and this character's sad and and for me i i yeah but you're dead inside i know i really am i i was along for the journey i I bought into the characters and and all uh, seven times a character would look at you and well up it worked every time on you feel like it was that much it's it's being human oh my god don't do this to me guys don't do this (laughs) i i again i need to see this again to have a real emotional reaction to it i don't know you might hate it more and i hate to say it i may temper my praise seeing it again but you guys Such loved it life. the first time, so I, I can only go... I mean, I did see it twice, and my enthusiasm was demured a bit, but I still really enjoyed it. Fuck. See, I want to give this a six and a half out of ten, but that's crazy. No, that's Jesus crazy. Jesus Christ, get out! I, like, it's a seven for me. Aside from the problematic stuff we already discussed, I like I do feel some of the story stuff and some of the things you mentioned are do feel a little more artificial uh, the more you, you're, you're familiar with it. But at the same time, like... The craftsmanship is it's so good, insane, and it's like you know, like it's a Wes Anderson movie. It's like you know exactly what you're getting, and he gives it to you in the highest quality he's given it since. I, I'm wondering what his next animated feature will be like. It it'll be like Michael Bay kind of shit. Plus, right? it's got fucking robot dogs in it. So yeah, come on, okay. yeah, it's, robot dogs. That's pretty good. <laughs> It's like Wolfenstein or something. I will say there were a couple times when they were up on the the sort of gondola type thing, where the the cable car in the in Trash Island, it, it got a little. The plot stalled a little bit. Yeah, that's my uh, problem. Where they, where they the, played that same pop I, song. I don't. We, that, we have a melancholy song. We don't have enough material to pace out 110 minutes or whatever it was. 100 minutes. But then I also felt it was deliberate, and uh, there was a nice break and, and a stillness to it. Uh, with all the craziness going on too, so I felt like there were nice moments of quiet like that. And, what, and what you had Yoko Ono playing a character called Yoko. Yoko Ono, ono. yeah, I know that was pretty good. <laughs> what, what do you got? What are you giving out of ten? I guess you're, you're you gave it a five out of five on. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't give it a ten if I was ranking it a ten. I'd give it a nine. You know? Yeah, that's fair. 
This is one of your favorite. 8.5 to 9. This is one of your favorite all-time Wes films. Yeah, I would. at the end of this year, I can almost guarantee you this will be in my top 10. Wow. I hope it's a good year because it's in mine, but there's only four in there. So, <laughs> Rick? Uh, I give it an 8. Nice. Uh, it's okay. high quality Wes Anderson, not without its flaws. It was way better than I thought it would be, and it, it surpassed my expectations. And um, I was just amazed to see him push the yeah. the boundaries of storytelling and technic- technical prowess again with the with the style he did it in. And, and it left me wa- waiting to see where he goes next. I'm willing to go up to a nine on this one. Woo, I, now I, we're talking. I want to. It's just going to be an uphill battle. Uh, okay, you don't well, force it. I mean, you know, you're entitled to. But I feel like I'm dead inside, as Rick says. There must be some truth to that. I, I don't. I don't think this is going to change anything. No, but this is a, this is a low hanging fruit. Not to that's true. diminish Wes Anderson, but it's dogs c- crying to the camera on like straight head on shots with watery eyes. Everyone on Earth should respond to this. You make a fair <laughs> point. So I must be dead inside. <laughs> I gotta go back and see how many times these dogs are crying on screen. I swear it's. It's it's fucking yeah. Well, no, human humans do it too. Everyone, yeah. yeah. I was gonna go back quickly though to the um the bolt in the head with uh with Atari. I think it it, it may have a purpose in tense in terms of tension building where he's running out of time because he has to get he has to get that addressed or dealt with. So <laughs> so it's like the movie Crank. Well, there is there is at the end he he has to um confront or he has to finally deal with a, a health issue. Uh, without giving too much away. So I feel like maybe that was like a little way of saying he's got to eventually get back to the city. Yeah, I, I think it maybe Because he was in a plane crash. Wes Anderson loves to get a little gnarly every now and then. He'll yeah, throw your yeah. cat out the window yeah, yeah. or he'll run your dog over. He hates like when, animals, when the, really. He actually the, hates animals. One dog bit the other one's ear off. It was like very jarring. Yeah. It was like... And I love that where it's like it's it's a cartoon. You're watching an animated movie, but it's like it's a lot of it isn't for kids. He reminds you that this is a Wes Anderson film. Yeah, yeah. There's like that streak of pathos, or there's like a moment yeah. of, of poignancy, or to remind that you, jolts you. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Guys, Rick, you have a point. I can tell you have many points. No, I'm we, good. We, we have to go. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thor, thank you for joining us. Anytime. I believe it's it's still Easter weekend, so I believe you have places to go and people to see. I got babies to feed. Oh, my God. Uh, yes, thank you. Please come back soon. Would love to. Thor, where can we find you on the internet? Or on, I guess we can find you on television as well. Yeah, breakfast television. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, at Thor Diecow is the mm-hmm. handle. Nice. Yeah. Rick? You can find me at rickchung.com, at rickchung, oh. yvrk.com, at Sound yvrk, those handles. Real enthused. Super enthused. <laughs> Look him up. Yeah. You, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Scott Wilson BC. Follow the show at Vertical Viewing. Drop us a line, verticalviewing at gmail.com. If you want us to review a movie, then you're going to have to go to patreon.com slash vertical viewing. Your donation will basically be a demand that we must listen to. We're not reviewing a Serbian film. Unfortunately, <laughs> no one's asked yet, but we're just we're just telling you. Unless the price is right. Well, wow, the top tier is three dollars, so maybe we should create a very. No one wants to know it, but yeah, if you want us to review a film, let us know. Patreon.com. You can also go to verticalviewing.com. Just click the donate button if you want a one night stand with the show. That's just PayPal. Whereas Patreon's a reoccurring donation. You get it. You All right. It. Google Play, iTunes, TuneIn Radio. All that shit. Do you have final thoughts? 
Any of you guys? I do, in fact, love dogs. Rick, Rick you do, in fact, love dogs. I heart dogs. Is that the final thought here? And I love Wes Anderson. Ooh. Yeah. Said the white guy.